the park. Hit him with a strike. From the national anthem to the bottom of the night. I'm in Slammy Ego. Slammy Ego. Slammy Ego. Slammy Ego. You already know what's up. What's that? Another home run. But you know the job ain't done. Till we hold that trophy up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 426 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fad with you here. The All-Star Game just ended. Uh, the All-Star Game MVP, I believe, is about to be handed out here. I'm expecting it to go to Elias Diaz, who ended up with a huge home run for the National League and gave the National League the lead. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel, he was someone that I thought should not have been in the All-Star game over Fernando Tatis Jr., but he almost hit a bomb. Um, well, hit one, but it went foul, uh, according to the replay officials there. Um, in the All-Star game, it's almost like just let the ball go fair there. That was the original call. It's the All-Star game. It doesn't really matter. Like, just let it go. Um, it felt like the, the moment kind of just wasn't that big because of the replay, like it really just slowed the game down. Uh, but I do get like, you want to get the call right still just because it's the rules. Uh, but that was a weird moment there. Uh, but yeah, Elias Diaz, who would have thought Colorado Rocky, he ends up being a big difference in this game. Josh Hader, Juan Soto, obviously the two Padres players. Uh, I thought both had pretty good performances. There was a route by Juan in right field. He was on, he was mic'd up. He was talking to the broadcast booth and kind of had a bad route on a ball uh, that I believe Brent Rooker hit, former Padre, by the way. And so that wasn't great, but he smashed a ball, went one for three on the night. He came in for Ronald Acuna Jr., who started the night in right field. And uh, I think he struck out in his first at bat. Acuna did. Sonny, or was it first at bat? No, maybe his second at bat. Uh, but Sonny Gray pitched tremendous. I know I'm kind of bouncing around here, not just all Padres, but just some takeaways from this game. Obviously, Padres-centric, Soto going uh, one for three there. And he obviously played a lot. It's not like he this was where he got one or two at-bats. And then Josh Hader came into the game in the eighth inning. Now, looking back on it, maybe it would have been smarter for Phillies manager Rob Thompson to use Josh Hader in the ninth inning instead of Craig Kimbrell. But I understand Rob Thompson, he's the Phillies manager, and Craig Kimbrell pitches for the Phillies. So he's going to use the Phillies guy. He's going to use his guy. Uh, but Hader in the ninth pitched fine. It was a pretty quick inning there for him. Um, he gave up, I think, one hit, right? Yeah, gave up a hit, but I believe there was a double play in there. Um, he got a fly ball to right to Soto. Um, so that was pretty cool. You know, so Elias Diaz, yep, Cal Ripken Jr., he's handing out the MVP. Danny Sanchez, the interpreter for Elias Diaz, standing there. He does some PR for the Padres, so cool moment there. Um, but yeah, Diaz had a huge home run. This All-Star game, you know, my reaction to this is, yeah, it was a really cool moment there at the end. Like, Julio Rodriguez is up there. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, he's kind of struggling on the mound there, and he just walked Kyle Tucker and J-Rod, in front of his home fans, has a chance to go walk it off, and he ends up walking. So it wasn't like this tremendous ending, but that was great 
theater at the end of that game. That was like popcorn theater, if that makes sense, right at the end with J-Rod with the potential to hit that home run uh, and win it in front of his home crowd. Having the home crowd chant Julio, uh, it was a cool moment. And I thought another cool moment was when Otani was up to bat. Again, I know this is veering off, not just Padres, but it it was just the All-Star game. It just happened. So these are just kind of thoughts that are in my head that I'm just blurting out here. Um, Otani fans, while he was up, were chanting, come to Seattle. I think that was pretty cool. I think maybe us Padre fans should have done that in San Diego. But uh, no, that was a good idea by Mariners fans. And, And Mariners fans, they're really passionate. I don't know where they rank in terms of attendance, but when this team is doing well, I'm not saying they're bandwagon fans. Like They do still watch the games even if they're not doing well, but that's a good baseball town. I know when you think of Seattle, you think of the Seattle Seahawks, obviously, and the 12th man, but when this team has life in it, these fans show up, feels like day in, day out. I think it's a really good ballpark, and I loved watching that game today. I, I think... The broadcast could be a whole lot better. I think the jerseys, can we just please go back to the normal jerseys for this All-Star game? Like, why do they have to be wearing, like, the BP jerseys during the All-Star game? It's because of Nike. Nike's paying Major League Baseball a ton of money to wear it during the All-Star game. I liked it how it was in San Diego, where you wear the you can wear like this because it's in Seattle, you can wear the Seattle colors during the home run derby. But during the game, have the players wear their actual jersey because there were at some points, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a diehard baseball fan, so I know all of the players in this game. But there's a moment, there's moments in this game where it's like, yeah, a casual fan turns on the game and they're like, who the heck are these people on the mound here? Who is at the plate. I have no idea what's going on here because the focus is on a rod, David Ortiz, Derek Jeter, and Kevin Burkhart. Like a third of the screen is being taken up by those guys. And Joe Davis and John Smoltz are talking to those guys. And they're sitting there with their sunglasses on They're, you know, and popcorn in the front row, not even their seats. And, Like, I just don't think that, like, that was needed. Like, we don't really care about what David Ortiz has to say uh, about how he hit at T-Mobile or Safeco Field back then. We don't know, we don't care what A-Rod has to say about how he hit in Seattle during his career. We don't care about how Jeter thought he hit in Seattle during his career. Like, can we keep the focus on the game? And I think those guys think they're funnier than they actually are. And uh, so, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the Fox broadcast. I think it could be better. The mic'd up stuff, I I mean, I'm fine with it during the All-Star game and stuff, and they want to do it during the Home Run Derby. Uh, I know that's the ESPN telecast, but if they want to do it there, okay. Uh, But I think they could still be better with the mic'd up stuff. Like the Juan Soto mic'd up stuff today, that was pretty boring to me. Just, Just being honest, I thought that was pretty boring. And it didn't really add anything to it. Um, Josh Hader, you know, him being on the mound there and Ozzy Albies was ta- was right there too and giving his thoughts on facing Josh Hader. Like, that was pretty cool. But there was some stuff where it's like, is this really needed? Like, can we just focus on the game? 
And then Joe Davis and John Smoltz, maybe it's just a biased Padre fan in me, but Joe Davis, I'm, he's just, uh, he's just, eh. Maybe it's because we're used to Don and Mud, but that broadcast is pretty boring to me. So maybe it's a combination of who's doing the game, um, you know, the the decision to have the pre and post game guys in the broadcast sitting in the front row eating popcorn. Like, who cares? I think they could have done a better job at that. Um, but I know we're veering away from Padres talk and talking more about the game, but it did just happen. So I just wanted to give some thoughts on that. But yeah, Hater and Soto, it seems like they're healthy, which is obviously the most important thing here. They come out of this healthy. And now the Padres, Soto and Hater, all the Padres players already have had two days off. And now they're going to get two days off uh, before. Well, they're probably. Maybe they're going to Philly or maybe they're going back to San Diego or enjoying, enjoying a day somewhere else, but they'll probably join the team sometime Thursday, I would imagine, in Philadelphia before the Padres and the Phillies kick off their post-All-Star break schedule uh, at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. So welcome on in. Talking Friars episode 426, All-Star game. Some thoughts there. And the Padres, they had their Major League Baseball draft finish up. Um, Today, obviously, round one was over the weekend, Sunday, and then I believe the second through the tenth round was yesterday, and then the rest round, so it would be rounds 11 through 20, was today, and I have some takeaways from that, so I will get to that, but I want to get to some comments here. Quick reminder, use my code TALKINGFRIARS for $20 off your first order on SeatGeek. You can click that link in the description as well, breakingt.com for some great San Diego sports wag, Padres, Aztecs, Wave. If it seems like I'm not yelling or – I don't. I mean, I'm, I don't really yell during regular shows. But if I'm maybe trying to be a little bit quieter, it's because I am currently in Minnesota. And so this is not my house. Uh, this is not where I usually do this. And there's people sleeping upstairs. So I'm just trying to be a little nice. Uh, to them, uh, considerate of them, but I still wanted to do the show because this is a big moment, you know, the draft, the all-star game. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. All right. Let's see what some people in the chat think here. If you want to make sure I get to your comment or your question, you can use that super chat function there. I definitely appreciate that. Makes it very easy for me to see your comment and it separates your comment into a different category, supports the channel. Um, let's see here. Elwero says hater didn't even get to talk much while mic'd up. Yeah. Well, because he was sharing the mic'd up moment with Ozzy Albies and he was on the mound. So he probably didn't, he, he, I don't even know if he wanted to do it, but they probably approached him about it. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. Juan Soto's joining the Fox broadcast right now. Um, he get, they get a, I'll give credit. You know, I'm not huge fans of the Fox, the, the Fox broadcast people, A-Rod, Big Poppy. I don't, I, I'm just not. Um, but they get a lot out of Juan Soto. I don't know if you guys were listening to the batting practice day, uh, the other day, the workout day, and they got more out of him in those, like, two minutes that they talked to him with Ronald Acuna Jr. than the San Diego media has been able to get out of him, like, all year long. And this isn't a shot at the San Diego media. It's just that he opens up to those guys way more than he does to 
Kevin AC or Marty Caswell or Dennis Lynn or AJ Caswell or any other people in San Diego media that are in the clubhouse. Like maybe it's because it's David Ortiz and A-Rod and instead of just media people. Uh, maybe David Ortiz is because David Ortiz seems to have a good relationship with Juan. I don't know, but there were things that he was talking about, like his neighbors that he has in San Diego and how nice his neighbors are um, and just how much he enjoys the city uh, and just some stuff that they got out of him where it's like, he doesn't talk like that. You know, you don't see him smiling all the time talking to San Diego media, you know? Um, So I have this on mute, so I don't know what he's saying, but he had a pretty good day, got three at bats in there and he got a hit. It was the hardest hit ball of the night. It was over 115 miles per hour, a rope to right field. And so the National League, they get their first win in the All-Star game since, what, 2012, 2013, I think. I saw I saw that. I forget when. Let me see if I can find it here. The first since 2012. Wow. Yeah, that's been a while, since 2012. Um, Yeah, and Hader, I'm seeing in the comments here, Hader did pretty good in the eighth. Yes, he did. Yep, he did allow a base runner, but was able to get out of it pretty quickly. And again, Padres, they only had two all-star representatives. Maybe we should say, or I would say, that they should have had more than two, but what are you going to do, right? Big whoop. You only had two all-stars. Well, you have a losing record, right? Move on. Um, I was someone that was campaigning campaigning for Snell and Tatis to be voted as all-stars. Uh, but now that the all-star game is passed, whatever. Let's move on to the second. or It's already the second half of the season, technically. But the unofficial second half of the season starting on Friday. Let's move on to that. And I'm just glad that Hayter and Soto, they got to play. And they came out of this healthy. So. It's good. I think Padre fans got to be happy with what they saw tonight. Um, JD's third says, Ben, you'll be happy to know I bumped up my prediction for the Padres win total from 77 to 79 wins. Oh, yeah. Huge bump there on the Padres win total. Um, can't Will they get to 79? I think they can get to 79. That's not going to be enough to make the postseason, though. If they want to make the postseason, it feels like the 87 win number is where they're going to have to get to. Um, what I don't know what the wildcard team now, the last wildcard team, what they're on pace for. I guess I could look that up, but um, it's probably somewhere between 86, 89 wins, somewhere around there. So the Padres, they're going to have to play really good. They have, what, 43 wins right now? Uh, as we're, yeah, they're 43 and 47 playing the Phillies and, you know, Phillies, they're 48 and 41. They're one of the teams that the Padres obviously are chasing. And that's a big gap. Four games under 500 for the Padres, seven games over 500 uh, for the Phillies. Four games under again for San Diego, seven over for Philly. Like that's a big gap. And you look at the wild card standings. I think I saw something today. I was looking at him today. It's like six games back or something. Oh, here's David Ortiz on the broadcast. He has a Red Sox straw hat on. And he's spraying something. 
I don't know what's happening. He thinks he's way funnier than he is. That that's my thoughts on David Ortiz. No one asks, but that's kind of what I think about him. Um, same thing with A Rod. Not a big fan. Uh, but getting back to the win prediction, so the Padres they're gonna have to get to like 87, 89, somewhere around there, right? And right now, again, 43 wins. They're gonna have to play like at least 600 baseball, you know. You can't have this 500 stuff. You got to win most of the series that you play. And so this 10-game road trip coming out of this All-Star break is huge for this Padres team. Because they get to, one, because they get to play the Phillies, and the Phillies are a team ahead of them, so they can gain games directly on them. But also, because it's 10 games on the road, like you, like I said on the, I think my last show, they're not relying on the momentum here. You had four days off after having a couple good series against the Angels and the Mets. Four days off. They've rested. Now, are they going to say? Are they going to prove that they're they they can be a good postseason baseball team, or over the next ten games, are they going to keep being up and down, inconsistent, and it's going to prove like, yeah, this team's not going to be a World Series team this year, right? So I think they've got a lot a lot to prove, and it's it's a road trip where a lot is going to be taken from it, I think, because at the end of the road trip, they're going to be like a week, a week out, I think, from the trade deadline. So I know Seidler and Preller, they're optimistic. They believe in the team. They don't want to sell. But what if the Padres go four and six on this road trip? Now you've continued to dig that hole deeper or you've gotten that hole back to where it was you're starting to di- you're starting to get out of the hole, you know, with the the sweep against the Angels, the series win against the Mets. But if you go four and six on the road trip, or you go five and five, five and five isn't terrible, but I think that would be a disappointment for sure, considering you're playing the Tigers. Um, and I don't want to disrespect Toronto or Philly, but like the way you you were playing before the All Star break, the rotation's been good. We're seeing better signs from the offense. Hopefully, you're going to get some reinforcements back from the bullpen. That will be disappointment, disappointing. More time's going to be ticking off of the calendar, closer to the deadline, closer to the end of the season, and you're going to be in the same spot. You're going to still be four games under 500. That's obviously if they go five and five. If they go four and six, let's say. I mean, now, instead of four games under, you're what, six games under? Again, digging that hole deeper. They have to keep getting out of this hole. You gotta, you gotta get to five hundred. You know, get over five hundred. Like again, these teams that are ahead of the Padres. If you look at the wild card standings right now, the teams ahead of the Padres are well over five hundred. That the Padres have to chase. Look, I'm looking at the wild card right now, and. Oh, this is the division, actually. Yeah, so wild card. Miami's 53 and 39 at the first wild card. Arizona's 52 and 39, the second wild card spot. And then the Giants, 49 and 41. So again, that's a huge gap that the Padres have to get to. Or a huge gap that the Padres have to slim down, right? And eventually close the gap all the way and get over the Giants or get over whoever has that third wild card spot. 
The Giants are eight games over 500. The Padres are four games under. That's a huge gap. And then the Phillies, again, seven games over 500. Milwaukee, seven games uh, over 500 as well. You know, Padres, six and four in their last 10. So are the Phillies and the, uh, and the Brewers. They're also six and four in their last 10 games. So it's not going to be an easy task. I, I like what they did going into the all-star break and the baseball that they were playing, but that's not going to mean anything if they can't keep playing like that. If they don't, then this they're not going to go anywhere this season, and it's probably going to be better to sell off parts at the deadline. I, I don't know. I don't think it's likely that they will sell off Snell and Hayter, but it, again, if this road trip goes bad, you have to think about it. I know Seidler is going to be optimistic and AJ is going to be, you know, obviously he wants to buy. He doesn't want to go sell. So we know where they're leaning. They've said that publicly. But if you really, truly care about putting this franchise in the best position moving forward, if you know that 2023 isn't going to be the year, then you got to sell off pieces that aren't going to be here next year. Or they could be here next year, but their contract's up and you're not going to get an extension done, you know? Rocket Dog says Padres might get a wild card spot. Austin says I refuse to watch Fox games when Joe is calling games. Maybe again, maybe that's just us being biased Padres fans. And if you ask, I don't know, my family, my family here in Minnesota, I have some family here. That's why I'm here uh, on vacation. Ask some of them or ask people in Milwaukee or New York, whatever, uh, that aren't LA fans, aren't Padres fans, you know don't really care about Joe Davis and they're just neutral. You ask them, maybe they'll have a different opinion on him than us, but it just feels like Smoltz and Joe Davis. It's just a boring broadcast. And I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. Uh, Rocket Dog says, I think Joe Davis does a good job. I like him and I like Ernie Johnson over on TBS. I love Ernie Johnson. Yeah. And but Don, I think Don is much better than Joe Davis. I think he's more entertaining than Joe Davis. Maybe Fox isn't looking to be entertaining. They're looking to be the best like baseball people. But Don knows his baseball, obviously. I know he's with TBS, but he has done Fox National Games as well at the same time as doing the postseason TBS games. He's done, or same season, I should say, not same time. He's done Fox regular season games, and he's done TBS postseason games. So, you know, obviously I'm biased, but Don is like, I think, the best of the best. You think of TV play-by-play guys in baseball, and I know we're veering off into a different discussion, but best play-by-play guys in baseball, who are those guys? I think of Don Ursillo. I think of Michael Kay, right, uh, on the TV side. Um, who's the Giants? Um, Kruko, and who's the other... I'm blanking on him. Let me look this up. I th- I like Vaskersian. He's pretty good too. But I don't think he's like a a single team guy. J- uh, John Miller does radio. Dwayne Kuyper. That's who it is, I think. Um, and then I know a lot of people love the Mets broadcast as well. Boog Jambi, he's another one that I think of. Um, 
I'd rather see those guys do the national games than Joe Davis. You know, I just don't. I I not a not a big fan of his. Yeah, M Garza says A Rod is first and last to leave the makeup trailer. Yeah. Um, well, I know when was that? It was the postseason last year. He was in San Diego, obviously. That was the series against the Dodgers, I think. No, no, no. It was the Philly series. It was after the Dodgers series. And they were in their L.A. studio, right, remember? And they picked the Dodgers to win. Uh, some of them, who was it? Was it Big Poppy who picked Dodgers to win 3-0? And so Philly series comes, and they have all the security surrounding them. And you can tell how much makeup A-Rod has because uh, I was right next to him. And it's like, oh, my gosh. I think he just – it feels like in public when I – that one interaction there or one time I saw him, it's like he views himself as superior to everyone else. Um, and, again, they think they're funnier than they actually are. So, yeah, not a big fan of the Fox broadcast. All right, quick break, and then I wanted to get to the MLB draft. What happened with the Padres here in their draft? Some takeaways, because I definitely have some takeaways on this. Check out Gaglione Bros' famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries on Friars Road. You can visit their website, gaglionebros.com, for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium as well. All right, apologies again for the Wi-Fi. Hopefully the ad played because um, it's not showing on my end. Uh, but let's get to the MLB draft stuff. So, again, it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the 20 rounds. It, it used to be like, what, 40 rounds? But they've sliced that like in half, essentially. And there are some players that think that's not as many rounds as it needs to be because they were drafted in rounds that were later than the 20th round. Um, and so they wouldn't have even gotten this opportunity, and they're in the big leagues now. They wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if the Major League Baseball draft was how it is right now. Um, and I understand that, but 40 rounds does feel like a lot, um, and that's a lot of turnover every year for the minor leagues, I would think, right? So 20 picks – or the Padres didn't make 20 picks. Let me see how many picks they made here. Three, four, five, six, seven, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I think 18 picks that they made. Yeah, because they lost their second round pick. They lost their fifth round pick. And I believe that had to do with the Padres signing Xander Bogarts. And it might have had to do with them signing Darvish as well, extending him. But I think most mostly it's the Bogart signing. Second pick fifth round pick and then they lost money as well they only had a little over five million dollars i think to spend in this draft and so if they do sign their first round pick dylan head that's going to take up more than half of their room for their entire draft to sign these guys because there are penalties for you know going over the the luxury tax thresholds right so and you lose picks because Bogarts, right? I think it was they the Padres had to give the Red Sox one of the draft picks because 
they made a qualifying offer to Xander Bogarts, right? So those things like that cost you picks, can cost you money uh, based on where your payroll is. And so the Padres have had to adjust. And But Chris Kemp, he's, I believe, the director of amateur scouting now, and he ran the whole thing. Him and Preller are the guys that ran this uh, for amateur, th- this amateur draft. They just view it as a challenge. Like, okay, they get assigned this amount of money. All right, well, we can't change that. So we're going to do what we think is best with this money, strategize the best. Maybe it involves taking a player higher in the draft or taking a player that uh, maybe isn't I – don't, I don't know how to say it. Like maybe you're, you're high on the player, higher than other teams, and you can get him for less money than what you would have to pay for a guy that's still available. Um, you know, like it's just because that's the, the budget that you have. Uh, so Dylan head, he went first overall and his pick value is 3.17 million. So we'll see if he ends up signing. He is committed to Clemson. So it's not a guarantee that he does sign, but he did do that, that virtual press conference with the media after being drafted on Sunday in the first round by the Padres. And he said he loves San Diego and all that. So it seems like he's going to sign. It was 25th pick overall. Um, It seems like he would sign, you know, first round pick. Never know what would happen in college, maybe injuries or whatever. Draft value go down. Uh, You can get millions of dollars right there on the signing bonus. Um, So I think he'll definitely think about signing. And I think he would sign. I don't think the Padres would draft him in the first round if they didn't think he was going to sign. And it's another high schooler. I did see there's people that are bringing up, well, this is another high school player that AJ Preller and the Padres are drafting. And it's a trend of that. And maybe they should go with the college player, but he has had success drafting high schoolers. You think of Mackenzie Gore, you think of Robert Hassel the third, you think of CJ Abrams. Uh, I think James Wood was out of high school as well. He's had success with that. Um, now, not all those guys are, well, all of those guys I named, they're not in the Padres organization anymore, but they did get Juan Soto for those guys. Like the another team in Major League Baseball was willing to give up Juan Soto for those guys. So they, they're doing something right, drafting those high school guys. They're drafting who they think is best available, especially in the first round. As long as you think you can sign him, best available, you're going to draft that guy. And uh, the Padres, they've had a trend of drafting up the middle talent, right? You think so, Dylan Head here in the first round, and you go back to Jackson Merrill up the middle, CJ Abrams up the middle, James Wood up the middle, center field, right? Um, who am I forgetting? Robert Hassel up the middle. I know Preller early on, right? It was there was Weathers, there was Gore, there was Quantrill. He went pitchers there, but he loves signing that up the middle talent, and it makes sense because who knows what the heck the team's going to look like in the future. So it's best to draft those up the middle guys because those guys have probably the greater ability to adapt. And what I mean by that is positional versatility, like maybe they haven't played a corner outfield spot in their life, but they're an athletic center fielder 
And if center field is blocked by the time they reach the big leagues, or it looks like it's going to be blocked, or the organization just wants them to move positions because center field isn't working out, that guy is probably going to have a better chance at moving or a better a better chance at succeeding in the move to another position than, let's say, if the Padres drafted a guy that only plays left field or only plays right field or only plays third base or something like that, right? And now you want him to try to go play shortstop or second base. Maybe it won't go as well. Like the Padres love getting those real athletic guys. And seems like Dylan Head is that. And you look at the the picks after Dylan Head. Third round, J.D. Gonzalez, a catcher up the middle. Homer Bush Jr. out of Grand Canyon University. I believe he's a center fielder. I was looking up his perfect game profile. Uh, up the middle. Jay Bashirs out of Duke, second base, up the middle. Tucker Musgrove, he is an intriguing pick. No, it's not, he's not related to Joe Musgrove as far as I know, but he is someone that can play not just an in, or I think it's infield, right? I think he's an infielder. Not just play infield, but he can pitch as well. He's a two-way player. So we'll see how the Padres do this. Do they right out of the gate, restrict him to only pitching or only hitting. I don't think that would be the smartest thing to do. I think you should, you know, see what he can do as the two-way player for at least a season before just giving up on it. Um, So it's an intriguing guy, two-way player, and we'll see how he does. I I wouldn't be surprised if Joe has already talked to uh, Tucker Musgrove and just welcomed him into the organization just because you know they, they share the same last name and all that but as i posted on social media the other day when i saw this pick i was like yeah okay i already have too high of expectations for this guy uh just because of the name you know you immediately see the name and it's like oh another musgrove huh so okay it's not infield my bad it's according to the university of uh, mobile, mobile Alabama or mobile Alabama. I think it's mobile Alabama. I think, um, right-handed pitcher and he plays the outfield as well. So that's intriguing. I would not restrict Tucker Musgrove. Now they know better than I do. Obviously I don't really know anything about this guy, but I don't think it's the smartest thing, especially when you just draft him see what he can do as a two-way player. I know Crony, right? The Padres, they traded for him in that Tommy Pham trade. He was a two-way player, and now he's not, right? He's a position player. He's at first. He's at second. But I believe, if I remember correctly, when they first brought him over, he was pitching. Like, they had him throw bullpens in spring training. They didn't give up on his pitching right out of the gate. They gave it a chance. Um, did he? Now, I don't think he ever pitched like seriously in a major league game, but they didn't. I don't. I don't believe that they gave up on him immediately. So hopefully, especially when Tucker Musgrove is young like this, don't give up on that. See what he can do. Maybe that helps him be a better player because he doesn't have to think sometimes uh, when he's on the mound. Doesn't have to think about his at-bats, you know, standing around on the field or when he's at the plate, 
he doesn't have to sit there. He's not sitting there in the dugout thinking about um, him pitching, you know? Um, so yeah, Tucker Musgrove, that's a guy to watch, obviously, not just because of the name, but because of the profile as well. And then Cannon Kemp was the eighth, eighth round pick for the Padres, uh, pitcher. And then Ryan Wilson out of Davidson, an outfielder, Nick McLaughlin out of Arizona, a shortstop. There was an Arizona, I think, outfielder that the Padres were eyeing, but he got taken before uh, Dylan Head did in the first round. And then starting in the 11th round, I noticed this today, there was a long string of pitchers picked by the Padres. You know that year? I forget what year it was. Maybe it was a couple years ago where the Angels, they drafted, I think, literally, no joke, every round of their draft was pitchers. Every round. And obviously, the Angels did not have the best pitching depth. So they immediately wanted to stock. I think that was Perry Manasian's first draft as the head guy with the Angels. So they wanted to stock that farm system up with pitching. And the Padre, that reminded me, today reminded me of that with the Angels. Because the Padres today, they ended up drafting four, five, six, seven, nine pitchers in a row from the 11th round all the way to the 19th round. 11 pitchers in a row. And then the final round, they ended up going with B.Y. Choi. Uh, shortstop, another up the middle player. Like that's just what Joe Mus, or not Joe, sorry. I had the Musgroves on my mind. That's what AJ, Chris Kemp, that's just what the Padres love to do. So up the middle, I mean, you look through the draft. I'll get back to the pitching here in a moment, but just you look at the draft outfielder, catcher, outfielder, uh, those two outfielders, center fielders, second base, two way player, pitcher, uh, outfielder. Uh, shortstop, pitcher, shortstop. Like it's a lot of up the middle talent. And again, the uh, usually these high school teams, the college teams, the best players are playing up the middle. You know, the most athletic guys are playing up the middle. So again, it goes to that versatility, being adaptable. And I think the Padres like that. And they, you know, Chris Kemp and the Padres, they can say with the pitching thing today, right? Nine straight rounds, right? That's what I said nine or nine straight picks for them being pitchers. They can say, well, that's just how the board fell. Uh, All nine pitchers were the best talent available at those spots. Maybe they are, obviously they know better than we do, but come on. I I just, I still find it hard to believe that all nine picks, there wasn't a position player that you think maybe was better, but you really wanted to stock this system up with pitching and you thought you were, pretty good with up the middle talent in the system, especially late in the draft. You already got some of it at the top of the draft. And so it's like, yeah, let's, let's stock this farm system back up with some pitching because again, I think it's going to be important if this team wants to consistently contend at the big league level, they're not going to be able to do that with no depth in the minor leagues pitching wise with the rotation and the bullpen. I mean, you're having Ray Kerr come up, but you got him in a trade for Adam Frazier, right, to Seattle, who ended up not working with the Padres. Um, yeah, Cosgrove, Wilson, homegrown guys. But how about look at the at, at the rotation? What depth is there? Ryan Weathers hasn't worked out. 
Gore, Quantrill, those guys were shipped off, obviously. Patino was shipped off, right? So, like, the depth just isn't there right now. It's Weathers, it's Kinnear. Jay Groom, remember him in spring training? He has not done really anything with El Paso. He, he has sucked with El Paso this year. So the depth just is not strong. And I guess short-term, that's a worry. Maybe AJ and the Padres decide to go get at least another starter in case an injury happens and have that as a long man in the bullpen, just some more depth. Or maybe they transition Nick back into more of a long guy when Steven Wilson comes back um, and when Suarez hopefully comes back. I think maybe that makes sense because if an injury happens, the Padres, they're at a point again because they dug a hole. They're at a point where they can't just, you know, throw games if that not throw game but like have Reese Kinnear or Ryan Weathers go out there every fifth day for the rest of the season if someone gets hurt because they're probably going to lose most of those games and again you got to win most of these series the rest of the year and some sweeps would help like can they go on a long winning streak if someone gets hurt in the rotation that's going to hurt their chances of doing that but this rotate the good thing is the rotation has been Pretty healthy. Walker's going to come back after the All-Star break. And the guys that have been healthy, they've been pitching really good. But, again, just in the back of my head is the rotation and the health. Like, what happens if Darvish gets hurt or Musgrove gets hurt or Walker comes back and he's not effective or he gets hurt or Blake Snell gets hurt. He's pitching like the best pitcher in baseball right now. Or what if a couple guys get hurt? You have no idea what's going to, we don't know what's going to happen after the deadline here uh, or even before the deadline. Like the depth just needs to get better in the future. So going back to the draft, I think that was a conscious decision by the Padres to go pitcher heavy here late in the draft, go with some upside. Um, there, you know, some of these pitchers here. So here are the pitchers that they picked Carson Montgomery out of Florida State. Blake Dickerson from high school in Virginia, Dane Lies from Oregon City High School in Oregon, Tyler Morgan from uh, Abilene Christian in Texas, Zach Adkinson from West Vir- or from Marshall in West Virginia, Sam Whiting from UC Santa Barbara, Eric Yost from Northeastern in Massachusetts, Harry Gustin from uh, Hawaii. Adler Cecil from Temecula Valley High School in California, California, and uh, yeah, those are the pitchers. By Choi is from New Mexico Military Institute, obviously in New Mexico. So those aren't like huge names. Obviously, those guys would have went earlier in the draft. But you know, looking at the height and the weight, and some of these guys are high school arms. So a lot of this is projecting, like thinking okay, are these pitchers going to build up? Like, are they going to get stronger? They're going to, you know, they, they still have room to grow into their bodies, right? You know, when Tatis made that, or not Tatis, when Preller made the Tatis deal, Tatis was not what he looks like now. Like, Preller projected him to get stronger, to get bigger, and fill out that body of his. And that ended up happening, and look what has happened, right? So a lot of the draft here is, yeah, just projecting and hoping that those projections will work out, um, especially late in the draft. Like, 
you would think that some of these pitchers are going to hit. You pick nine pitchers in a row, none of them are going to hit. None of them are going to reach the big leagues. I, I have a hard time believing that. So we'll see what happens. I was not surprised by this Padres draft. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm super familiar with all these names, but Dylan Head, Speed, Athletic, up the middle, uh, the first four picks up the middle guys. And then Tucker Musgrove, two-way player. Again, that's versatility. Um, and then pitcher heavy the rest of the draft. And that's a spot in the organization that I think could get better. And the, there's pitching right now in the farm system, but it's like Robbie Snelling, um, Jackson Wolf, right? They're not high in the minor leagues. They're not sitting there in AAA knocking on the door ready to go, right? Alec Jacob was called up from AA, but you don't really see that for the most part from major league teams. They're not calling up guys from double A very much. Usually it's triple A where you're getting that. And the Padres just don't have a lot of depth there. So hopefully we look five years down the road here, four or five years down the road, and there's going to be multiple guys from this draft class sitting there knocking on the door in triple A. Maybe they'll get there earlier than that. Who knows? But I say four or five years because there's a lot of these guys here that were drafted that uh, were from high school. You know, there's multiple guys here that are high school seniors. So they're not going to be up in two years, right? So those are some of my takeaways for the Padres on their draft. Let's see if there's anyone that has any thoughts here in the comments. But as I scroll up here to get to some comments, just a reminder about Underdog Fantasy. So if you're new to the channel, again, I hope you subscribe and you like this content. I usually am louder and sound a little more passionate on shows. But again, if you're just coming in here, uh, it is, what time is it? A little after 11 o'clock here where I am in Minnesota. Uh, have some family in Minnesota, so I'm not at my house. So I'm trying to be a little quiet to be considerate of those that are sleeping upstairs. But I'll be back next or at the end of the at the end of the Philly series, I probably just warning up. I probably won't be doing a Padres Philly series reaction right after the game on Sunday, Padres Phillies, because I'll be working um, another job, but I will have a series reaction out. If not Sunday night, when I come home by Monday, obviously before the Padres take on, or Monday, I think Monday's an off day. So maybe I do it Monday morning. We'll see. I'll have it out at least by Monday night. Um, a series reaction there, Padres-Phillies. That gets kicked off on Friday. It's a weird four-game series. And I'll get into that here in a little bit. But just want to continue talking about Underdog Fantasy here because I wanted to finish that. Um, use Underdog Fantasy. It's a great resource. You click that link in the description, you'll get a deposit match up to $100. Um, if you sign up there using that link, and uh, I think there's a promo code there as well, uh, promo code Talking Friars. But if you click that link, I don't think you need the promo code. It should just work right there. If you have any questions, feel free to put it in the comments or DM me on social media at Talking Friars on Twitter and Instagram and threads. I'm on there too. I don't check that as much as often, but 
uh, Instagram and Twitter, definitely a place you can find me there. Um, but yeah, this Padres Phillies series, before I get to the chat, Padres Phillies series coming up. It's a weird four game set. There's a scheduled double header on Saturday. I know that major league baseball, they wanted to give everyone at least two days rest, including the all-stars, right? Not all-stars. They got four days rest after Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then everyone resumes play on Friday. Does, is there, I know they used to play, let me double check this. They used to play like one game on Thursday night, like have it be on ESPN. I think Cubs Cardinals was that a few years ago, just to like kick off the unofficial second half of the year. Um, so I don't know if a team's playing on Thursday. I'll check that. But Friday, Padres open that series in a scheduled double header on Saturday. Don't really get that. Um, I get that they want the off days before you resume, and they're giving the Padres an off day on Monday. So I think they'll take it. And I'm glad that the double header is happening on day two out of the All Star break. It's not like it's happening eight games in. And there was no off day in any of those games, right? Um, so that's good. But hopefully the bullpen's not in a bad spot going into the second game of Saturday or going into Sunday's game. I think some of the starters have been announced. I think Darvish is pitching game one on Friday. And then Snell is going to pitch, I think, game one Saturday. Don't have a starter for game two of that day. So game three of the series. And then the series finale, I think I saw it was going to be Seth Lugo. And Waka will pitch, I think, the second game of the Toronto series. Musgrove, I believe, is pitching the first game of the Toronto series. So Waka will be coming off the IL after the All-Star break. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot. I was going to look up the schedule, see if no schedule. Okay. No games on Thursday, July 13th, Friday Padres. That's going to be at three Oh five Pacific time, Saturday game one, 10 Oh five AM. And then, uh, let's see, wait, that's Sunday. My bad. Saturday, 10 Oh five AM. And then game two will be 4.05 p.m. Pacific time. And then Sunday, 10.35 a.m. will be the series finale. So, yeah, pitching matchups. I'm looking on the MLB app right now. Darvish in game one against uh, Sanchez. And then Snell against Taiwan Walker in game one on Saturday. Game two of the series. Ranger Suarez for the Phillies in game two of the doubleheader on Saturday. TBD for the Padres. And then Sunday, Lugo against Zach Wheeler. So should be a pretty good series. And obviously, it's a big series for the Padres because, again, they have to get past the Phillies if they want to make the postseason, you would imagine. Um, and the Phillies, they're a better team than the Padres are, or at least record-wise, they have been a better team. We'll see, we'll see what's with Bryce Harper because I know he got hit in the, it was either the hand or the wrist, I think, recently. Wasn't an all-star, obviously. And so maybe he'll be able to play or he'll be on the IL. I think he's – I don't think he's on the IL. 
Okay, injury update. Let's see what the injury update here is on Bryce Harper. He was hit by a pitch last Saturday. Oh, elbow. X-rays on Harper's right elbow returned negative, and he is only dealing with soreness after exiting Saturday. Last Saturday against the Marlins. Okay, so I don't think he played Sunday. Issue does not appear to be serious. Okay, I'm reading from Sports Illustrated. So maybe we'll get a compromised Harper, um, or or we just won't. But that was something that came into my head about this Philly series coming up. But yeah, it's a big 10-game road trip, obviously, for sure. All right, let's go to the chat here to end this night. Gil says, we selected nine pitchers in a row and went shortstop with the last and 20th pick. Me like that strategy a lot. You can never have too much pitching because pitching is king in this game. We know as baseball, 12th round kid looks like a steal if we can sign him. 6'6", lefty high school pitcher who touches 93 with ease. Yeah, and that's what, you know, those 12th round guys are, you know, day three guys, as I'm, I assume scouts would like to say. Uh they probably like to categorize people in what day they would get drafted. Um, those day three guys, you're you're trying to to find something out of someone. Probably doesn't look great right now, but maybe a couple fixes mechanically or kind of like the Tatis thing. I know that wasn't the draft, but Bill, are you do you think that he can get stronger? And because of that, or him growing still just him getting bigger, it will allow him to be a better player, right? Like trying to project and just take take a stab at it. And if it works out, that is tremendous. Mike says, if AJ is still in charge, it's, it's hard to get excited about a Padres draft. I, I assume, Mike, because of the development of these guys, right? Because I think the talent that AJ has drafted has not been bad. If you want to make the argument about the development, yeah, you can make that argument because at least for the Padres at the major league level, the development, it's just not there in terms of like the results, right? Ty France, well, he went to Seattle and was an all-star. He wasn't an all-star with the Padres. You could say that's because of the organization's decisions with Hosmer. He was blocked. Um, obviously, Manny at third, and they weren't going to have Hosmer be benched in that spot. And they were trying to go for it there in 2020 and go get Austin for freaking Nola, who was hitting like over 300 that season, I think. At the time, he was doing really well and has not hasn't come near that. Um, but like with Ty France, was it the development of the Padres there? Was that draft pick a good draft pick for the Padres? I think you could say it was because look what Ty France has ended up being. Like it was a quality player that they drafted. Cal Quantrill, it was a quality pitcher that they drafted. Mackenzie Gore, I think there's signs there. Quality pitcher that they drafted. CJ Abrams, quality player they drafted. Robert Hassel, James Wood, those seem like quality players that they've drafted and will be in the big leagues at some point for the Washington Nationals. Now, I know that's not the Padres, but the drafting part, I don't think that's the problem. I think you could point 
the the problem to maybe the development or giving up on players too soon or being too uh, star start hunting too much maybe but those guys that AJ has acquired are proven guys didn't some guys have flopped with the Padres but AJ can't control that he can only control partly who the Padres acquire and those guys were proven with track records the Padres are trying to win right now so it does make sense for some of the moves that he has made some of them just haven't worked out and obviously it's easy to look back in hindsight and be like wow that was terrible you know Gil says Preller has been killing it the last two years in the draft Merrill Wood Lesko I didn't even mention Lesko yeah idiot um yeah Lesko Maybe it's because he just hasn't pitched very much. He just started pitching in the Padres organization, just got on the mound. So we'll see what he ends up being. Uh, but yeah, like that seems like a pretty high upside quality pick there. So I don't, again, I, I, Mike, I don't think the drafting part is the problem. Um, interesting conversation going on in the chat here between Gil and Mike about the farm system and some of the picks Preller has made. Okay, I'm going to try to go through this because this is interesting. Mike says, Gore is no big deal right now. Let's not pretend he's an all-star. A typical Padre pitcher, five innings, 100 pitches, and very average right now. Nothing special. Okay. But there is, you can definitely see the potential there, right, Mike? I think you could definitely see the potential there with Mackenzie Gore. And he still is a young pitcher, still doesn't have a ton of experience in the big leagues. And right now he's in a spot with the Nationals where it's okay for him to work out some stuff because the Nationals aren't trying to win at the big league level. So they're going to have him struggle at the big leagues and work through it at the major league level. So maybe this is just part of the just part of the progress for just part of Mackenzie Gore's story, you know? And he'll end up being that pitcher. I, I definitely you know the book's not written on Mackenzie. And I think the Nationals like they got a heck of a, ret- a return back in that Juan Soto deal. And they look like the winners of that deal right now. Right now they do because the Padres don't have a championship and they're under 500 right now with Juan Soto. And it's not a guarantee that they win it next year. If they win a world series, then yeah, Padre fans were going to say it was worth it. But if they don't, then, and they don't extend Soto or don't bring them back in free agency, the nationals won the trade. It's, it's as simple as that for me. It's pretty black and white for me. Uh, Mike says, can we at least wait until some of the players traded for Soto actually become something in Major League Baseball before anointing Preller a genius? That's fair. Sure. Gil says, a lot of other promising prospects like Tyler Robinson, Jacob Marcy, Isaiah Lowe, Adam Azur, Jared Collar in the last two years, he's really replenished the farm. Um. You know, Chris Kemp, he did mention that during the draft 
or not during the draft. I think during the draft, uh, his post-draft um, online media press conference, whatever, over Zoom with the media, like he thinks the Padres organization is pretty good at restocking the farm and replenishing the farm. Is that was the word Gilly used there? And I would tend to agree. I think it's just frustrating for some Padre fans that those guys, they're down at the lower levels of the minor leagues right now, not at the top. But when you do trade a lot of guys to other teams that were closer to the big leagues than some of these guys, you know, you have to go, you replenish the farm by drafting. And when you draft, they don't go to AAA immediately. It's a process. It takes time. And it takes time for those that were drafted in 2022 to keep moving up. And the guys, the guys that were drafted this year, they're going to be in Lake Elsinore or rookie ball. And it's going to take time for them to move up. So it's going to take some time to, I think at least, you know, maybe another year at least to start seeing that depth in AAA, maybe a couple years before we start seeing that depth actually, you know, be in El Paso playing for the Chihuahuas and then hopefully coming up and helping the Padres win. Mike says, how about just one impact player in 10 years in the major leagues? Are you talking about Padres drafting one impact player? Yeah. Ty France maybe could have been that guy. Um, Tom Cosgrove was drafted. Steven Wilson was drafted. But that's, I know, Mike, that's not what you want. You want someone like Trey Turner, right? Someone that can, uh, you know, like it's like an everyday, can be a star player for the Padres, was drafted, developed, and he's a star for them, right? While, you know, Tatis, he was traded for. I know he was young, but you, and you got to give credit to the Padres on that. But he wasn't drafted. Um, and you look at some of these draft picks, they're not with the Padres anymore. Um, yeah, Naylor. I see Naylor in the chat there from Gil. Naylor is another one. Andres Munoz, who have moved on to other teams. I don't think Munoz was Munoz drafted. I think that might have been an international signing. But, yeah. There's a lot of talent that has moved on, um, but you know, I think you also got to realize the Padres' stance, where they are, where they've been in the past few years. They're trying to win, and so they want AJ Preller at least wants proven talent. He doesn't want to bank on these guys coming up and having a ton of pressure on them as rookies. And what if they don't perform? I think he'd rather fail, knowing that he acquired guys that were proven at the time having success you know gill says if there's one thing preller does well is scout and produce talent if you don't want to see it that's your problem um i'll agree with the first part of that preller does well if there's one thing preller does well it's scouting yes like that's his thing and if things don't go well this season like I would be okay with Preller being fired, obviously. Um, I would I would also be okay with him accepting the scouting director position or something like that, or amateur scouting, take Chris Kemp's position. Um, just don't be involved with the trading or be the, the head guy in the trading and all those decision makings, the free agent signings, right? Go do what you do best identifying that talent in the draft. I think that's what he does best, at least. Um, so I'd be fine with that. 
Um, now, produce talent in terms of like at the major league level with the Padres, he has not done that well. I think we can acknowledge that. But he has acquired some pretty good talent. So there's, you know, it kind of balances out a little bit. I think that if if you look at it on a scale, the guys that have been drafted by the Padres that have left, that probably tips in that fate. Like that's heavier, if that makes sense, than the, the players AJ has acquired. Um, because there, there have been some misses and there have been some players that have gotten away, obviously, that maybe gave up on too early. Um, and some players that obviously came here and it didn't work out. And those players that were traded for that player, obviously, ended up doing well for other teams. Um, so the scouting part, yes, I agree, Gil. But the producing part with the Padres, I can't fully agree on that just based off of um, some of the results here with AJ as the GM. Chad says, don't forget the Braves. They're another organization that is very well, a very well oiled machine from the top down. That is true. Yes. I feel like, is it just me or sometimes when people discuss um, just being a great organization overall i feel like the rays and the dodgers constantly get floated out there and those are great organizations obviously like they have the history of continuing to produce talent uh in the minor leagues and develop talent right even when they're not picking number one overall every year like the pirates or the Orioles, you know um i think the braves get left out of that the braves they get the extensions done with the young players that they identified, and it seems like they always have pitching coming up. Regardless of Max Fried gets hurt, well, they have young pitching still coming up. You know, Bryce Elder, I think, is the guy's name. Um, let me see, Bryce Elder. He's this young, he's 24, and he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. Sub-3 ERA. And it's his second year in the big leagues. He pitched in 10 games last year. Like they're just, they just find guys. They continue to find guys. So yeah, the Braves are definitely one of those organizations where it's like, yeah, you want to look like those, you want to look like that team, a core of players that are locked down, but it's not ridiculous contracts. You have strong pitching. You have a stable coaching staff, obviously. Um, and you have guys that buy in, it feels like, to everything because there's a lot of trust there. Um, yeah, Chad mentions the Orioles too. Orioles are finally seeing the payoff of having a GM with a lot of patience. Um, they have drafted well as well. Um, you think of Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Heston Kirsted. Um, who's the, I think, they just brought up an outfield prospect. Kowser is his name, I think. Let me look up the Orioles farm system here. Yeah, they're 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 stacked. Jackson Holiday, they just drafted, right? A couple years ago. Um didn't they just draft 
the guy that Preller wanted from Vanderbilt, I think it was, what's his name? I talked about him the other day. Eldridge from Vandy? It might have been Baltimore um, or another team. They drafted either the Arizona outfielder or Enrique Bradfield from Vandy. But yeah, like look at their farm system right now. Jackson Holiday, who I think is already in double A now. Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, Heston Kirstead. It's like they have a lot of talent there. And the Padres, they did have that, but they traded away for Juan Soto. Where the Orioles, it feels like they're not going to make a huge trade like that. They're going to really try to bring these guys up, see what they have, because they're not in the position to or at least they're not trying to go all out and win right now. Um, they're trying to win. They have a good team on the field, but they're not trying to go all out and acquire all these superstars. They're trying to make the superstars in the organization. And then maybe pitching, they go out and spend big on or go trade big on. Uh, but the position players, it's going to be a lot of core players there. And hopefully that's what the Padres end up becoming. All right, I think that's going to do it. Talking Friars episode 426. Thank you all. Whoever is here listening on the podcast platforms, watching on YouTube live, on replay, uh, I appreciate everyone for being here. Again, I was quieter tonight because there are people sleeping upstairs. So everyone, have a great night. Uh, The All-Star game was a fun watch and can't wait to watch this Padres team uh, start back up after a couple days off here on Wednesday and Thursday, start back up on Friday for a four-game set against the Phillies over the weekend. So have a great rest of your night. See everybody.